Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Kath Blackham. She is the CEO of Versa versus digital agency that specialise in conversational AI. Uh, well, we were just saying with a location in Melbourne, <laughs> we can't say base strike as you're uh, remote <laughs> first uh, in Australia. Uh, Kath, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Um, and the reason I'm so excited to have you here is you've done incredible things with the culture of Versa, and for which you've been recognised uh, 2019 campaign magazine, Best Culture in uh, across Australia and New Zealand. Uh, number seven, great place to work in 2019. Digital Agency of the Year, 2019, again, campaign magazine. So, yeah, you've, you've clearly done something pretty extraordinary with, with the company. I'd love to understand you know, how you've led uh, Versa and, and created that culture. Well, that's a big question. Um, so, but yeah, like I guess I, I, I would. Yeah, I think I would start um, really back at the beginning of why I started Versa, right in right at the um, beginning of two thousand and ten. It was, or right at the end of two thousand and nine, and that really was um, firstly because I, I wanted to um, start my own company and do things a bit differently, but I also wanted to, I guess. Um, have a go at living my life's work. And my life's work is to um, use um, the platform, um, which for me is Versa, to move the needle on things that I'm most passionate about. And that's mental health in the workplace, diversity and inclusion, and using tech for good. So I, I think that when you start a business, not to go and make a lot of money or to mm. Um, get the best clients or have the most fun or do, but you actually set a goal of um, leaving um, kind of the place in a better place than when you started and actually moving the needle and helping society move the needle. It makes it very easy to be very focused on that. And that's, I think for me, um, what's helped me build the culture is that um, we have always had this goal in mind. I wanted to make sure that my employees were able to live their best lives, to um, manage their mental health in a much more healthy and better way than what was happening in our industry at the time. Um, I wanted to show the industry that we could um, actually work less, but be as productive. Um, and that's where the four-day week came from. And I I had, there was a lot of precursors to the four-day week. So we were the first, um, certainly the first agency in Australia to do um, the four-day week, but we were one of the very first companies in Australia to do the four-day week. And so it's allowed me to really practice what I preach, but also um, to show the rest of Australia and, and beyond. And I've worked with a lot of um, UK-based um, clients as well, on or not clients, but companies as well, to um, to show them how you can do things differently and treat mm. your employees better. So uh, I guess that's the journey in a, a real nutshell is that yeah. I started out with that really core belief that I wanted to make a difference. And everybody says that. It's a pretty easy thing to say. But then I think that over time, what I've been able to do is actually show that you know, I've put in things that have um, allowed me to get to those, um, to my life's work effectively and to achieve yeah. my life's work. So so that's Brilliant. it. And we talk a lot about that at uh, Versa, what your life's work is and, um, and supporting people in that. Right, right. Interesting. Um, and so is that something you ask people when they come in? Is that? Yep. But what, what is your yep. life's work? Wow. Yep. Yeah, and look, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be really big and really, um, so some people come in with a big, hairy, audacious goal. You know, they want to, um, you know, it might be something that you're trying to do outside of work. You might want to start your own business or your life's work might be being the best mum that you can yeah. be or being the best parent. So um, there's a lot, but what it allows us to do, and a lot of people, it involves work. So they want to, their life's work is, um, you know, making a difference through the work that they do. Or um, So we don't kind of box people in and make them define it. We ask a very broad question 
But what it allows us to do is to really get in behind what the motivations of that person is. But also when we're compensating them, we don't just have to look at um, compensating them with money. We can actually look at, well, what are the other ways that we can compensate that person that supports their life's work? And that might be more time. That might be supporting um, them to start their own business. That could be um, giving them a particular type of work. That could be helping them. You know, their life's work might be becoming a CEO of a business. Well, if I know that, I can mentor them to do that. Yeah, I'm looking for someone to take my job so I can go on holiday. I need a long holiday, so that would be good. Right, right. And so, what of, of the people who've come through Versa? What which of the those that answer to the question, "What's your life work?" has inspired you? Oh, that that's some that inspired you particularly. Yeah. Look, I love the fact that we have this team and continue to have this team of people that are very, very motivated to make a difference. So um, where we seem to attract people that um, we do a lot of not-for-profit work. um, And so what that means is that we are um, lucky enough to have people that really um, are focused not on having big brands on their CV, but actually having meaningful work on their CV where mm. they've um, actually made a difference to society. And, you know, it, when you work in digital, it's tough because um, we don't always, you know, we're not saving lives here. Like we're building yeah. digital experiences. We're not saving lives. We're not doctors. Um, so um, sometimes it can be hard to see the difference that you're making on society. And so it's really I just get inspired by people that turn up on our doorstep and say, I really want to make a difference. How can I do that? And then they come up with ideas. Um, We're constantly kind of looking for, they'll give up their own time because we have Wednesdays off. So people give up their time to do, you know, give back to, I've got somebody that works for me at the moment who, you know, she works with kids um, who, um, are in need in her area where she lives. So kids that maybe don't have as, aren't as fortunate as her own kids. And, um, and so she gives up, so she has a Wednesday off. And so instead of dedicating that to getting the housework done and getting her appointments, she gives that entire day to just helping those kids out, going into the schools and helping them out. So those are the kind of people that inspire me every day. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. And and I said, so that's every, the whole company takes Wednesday off. Is that how you've worked it? Yeah. 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 So we, so in 2018, um, we started um, what we call the four day week. And it is, so we do work five days a week just to be, so we do the 37.5 hours, but we do it over four days. So we're aspiring actually to, to cut that down to 30 hours. And we, we are slowly over time cutting that down. But in our industry where people work way over the 37.5 hours generally, so they're, they're working kind of upwards of 50 hours a week sometimes, you know, so they're already doing probably 10 or 11 hours a day. And so to, um, to come in and allow people to work effectively the day that they were already working it's eight till six or just under eight till six to get there which you probably work those hours I certainly worked those hours right throughout my career um but then to give back a whole day in return for doing those hours is really valuable to people because they don't um they're quite happy to work the longer hours each day if they can um if they know that they've got that Wednesday to decompress, yeah, you know, go for a run, go for go to the gym, go and get the um, shopping done, that type of thing. Just look after their mental health and well-being. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that's uh, yeah, that, that that's fascinating. And your clients just learn to live with it, right? They 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 or they embrace it over time, do they? Yeah, so we so when we um, first onboard a client, we kind of take them through why we do it, and one of the big reasons, you know, if we're being a bit business like about it, so it is about the 
mental well-being of um, of our team, but it's also about um, uh, lessening attrition. So actually, it's a very it's a very good way of um, uh, getting really good staff because mm. um, it's a very attractive thing in our industry. But it also keeps people with you. And so once clients realise they don't expect you to be available twenty four hours a day, seven days a week for them anyway. And so as long as we're in touch with them on a Tuesday afternoon and then we get back in touch with them on a Thursday morning and they know that if they need us, they can get us on a Wednesday. So mm. they can always pick up the phone to yeah. me or I've got a couple of layers below me before um, that they can, um, you know, they can contact us on our mobiles. They are completely fine because they know that the, the team that they're working with today will be the team that they're working with in two years' time. And that yeah. in our industry is almost unheard of. So Right. Yeah. No, yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That and it's sense. particularly it's particularly important at the moment because I presume it's the same in the UK. It's um, you know, we're under it we just don't have enough resources and technology anymore. Mm. So um there is this massive shortage going on in Australia of really good talent. We've got a lot of really big Atlassian, Canva, some really big brands that are um, based out of Australia that are taking a lot of the um, resources and they can afford to kind of go in and pay whatever they need to. So to have that differentiator as well as a really great um, kind of marketing point, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Now you talked about mental health, so so I'm interested there. Like, what what were you observing in terms of mental health, maybe in your own situation or those around you, that had that be one of your focuses when you set up Versa? So I think we're um, approaching definitely an epidemic when it comes to mental health issues in the workplace. I. I um, I think COVID probably fast tracked a bit. Um, some of and and maybe made companies more aware of um, of what was happening with their own team. I think they checked in with them a bit yeah. more. You know, I was I was in a, a conversation with a, another big agency CEO the other day, well, a couple of months ago, and he said, "Oh, so weird. We didn't have any mental health issues in our team, really." until COVID and now it's everywhere. And my response to him was, are you joking? Like, of course you had mental health issues. It's just that I think COVID has given um, employees a language that they can use and a comfort to be able to share that they're not feeling okay. So I think we're facing an epidemic. I think um, we're working too hard. We're available too often. you know, one of the things that I really advocate for is um, the fact that, you know, it's been a hundred years since we have looked at the working week. So it was kind of Henry Ford and all of his cronies that bought in that five-day week because they wanted an extra day of shopping effectively to buy, you know, because he Mm. had cars and he wanted people to drive his cars. And so he was a big advocate for going to the five-day week. Well, we haven't moved from the five-day week since then. We've done bits yeah. and pieces. And in, and in Europe, there's some some countries that are a little bit more progressive than others. But generally speaking, think about over time how productive we've become in 100 years, like the internet, you know, automation, farming. like farming, everything. Every facet of our lives, we've become more productive. But instead of giving people back that in time, we've given it back in money. And what that has meant is that houses are more expensive. Everything just becomes more expensive, right? Because we've got more money in our pockets, Mm. because companies are giving us more money because they're making more money due to increased productivity. But if we could just as a society stop for two seconds and think about the impact that that's having on people, by always, if, if you're a white-collar worker, you know, always having your work in your pocket. You know, you go home and your bloody watch is, um, excuse my language, but your watch is, <laughs> like, buzzing and yeah. you're buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and your phone's going off and you know that you need to, you know, 
I might just check because that email might have come through. And, you know, it, it's, inc- it, it's not surprising that anxiety as, a, um, as an issue um, that workplaces are facing is just rising year on year on year. And I think we're not going to stop that from happening until we start to make big changes. <laughs> I've just gone into the dark. Yeah. This is because I'm, I'm a, sorry, Somebody I'm in the office. Somebody doesn't like your message. <laughs> the timing was amazing. Well, you will not make changes. <laughs> the timing was, I must have looked really scary then. So I'm just, I'm in the office. And uh, if you don't move for a little while, uh, the lights go off. Um, so, so that for me is um, uh, what I'm seeing is an epidemic that is not going away. In fact, it's getting worse and worse. I'm seeing corporate, um, I was going to say corporate Australia, but I reckon corporates across the world not really truly addressing that anxiety that um, we can see in our staff. And uh, like uh, I'm very, um, I'm a big advocate of um, putting language around mental health. So we have a, psycho- a psychologist that comes in regularly to talk to the team about, um, you know, what it's like to have anxiety, what it's like to have depression, what it's like to be like, you know, kind of um, destigmatizing both. Um, having anxiety and depression, but also what it's like to go to a psychologist. A lot of people think it's some scary thing, whereas it's, right. you know, you'll quite happily go to the dentist, right? Yeah. And yet you may not even have bad teeth and you still turn up to the dentist because we've learned right from an early age that we have to go to the dentist to prevent tooth decay. And, yeah. and that's so, and make sure that there's no underlying issues. And yet we don't learn from a young age that it's okay to go to the psychologist just to check in to make sure that our mental health is okay. And yet seeing people that have got underlying um, issues and actually, and I'll get off my soapbox here, but actually health insurance in this country at least, I don't know if it's the same in the UK, is if you, um, and life insurance as well, if you have a mental illness, if you're, diagnosed with a mental illness before you get life insurance your premium is much higher so that is deep that is meaning that people don't go to a psychologist and they don't get because they don't you know so so there's all these things in society that are kind of stacking against these people that um that and i i have seen people crushed in my business under expectation and and you know we don't work long hours I don't have people working on the weekends I don't have people working nights I don't have um you know we don't put a huge amount of pressure on people and yet I still have seen people on my team crushed by anxiety just by what's in their head so I know that if I've got it in my team where I've got psychologists coming in we we practice gratefulness and mindfulness every day we have meditation every week I do everything I possibly can to look after the mental health of my team and I still have team members and the reason that I know that is that I've destigmatized it and given it a language that means that people can just put up their hand and say do you know what I'm struggling I've got this and and they know that I'm not going to be shocked by it, worried by it. They're certainly not going to be judged by it. And so they can then, I can help them get over whatever it is that they're getting over. So, and again, it works to my advantage because people want to stay because it's a safe environment where they know that they're going to be, if they have, uh, if they're predisposed to mental illness, they're going to be protected. I'm going to help them. I'm not going to, and so many people get judged by mental illness. If you take a, if you break your leg, everybody's rushing around riding on your leg and helping you and helping you into the lift and helping you up the stairs. If you've got a mental illness, which can be 10 times as debilitating in the office, no one wants to be anywhere near you. They don't know what to say. They don't yeah. even probably even know that, you know, they maybe heard a rumor that you maybe are not coping as they call it. You know, but there's no, 
it's not recognized as something in the same way that the flu is or that um and so it just it just makes it much much harder for people sorry i'll just get off my soapbox you can see that i'm I have many soapboxes that I step onto every now and again. So no, but that's such a, tell me to know, get off. a power to, yeah, powerful treatise. And I think, you know, I mean, there's so much in what you've said. Uh, yeah, uh, and the two the two themes that I'm picking out of that is one, let's destigmatize it. Let's talk about it. Let's have it be normal to say, it, it be as normal to say I broke my leg over the weekend as it is to say yeah. I had uh, like a breakdown an emotional yeah. breakdown, right? I mean, imagine if those two were at parity in terms of being able yeah. to just share it with your colleagues. That would be an extraordinary yeah. difference, wouldn't it? Um, so that makes complete sense to me. But then the, the fact you're actively like, implementing in the culture mechanisms yeah. to, um, well, I, the, the, to improve mental health, right? I mean, I, yeah. I think there, there must be some kind of boundary uh, where certain needs can only really be met outside of the workshop outside, of course. Of, outside yeah. of the workplace but there's still a lot that can be done in the workplace yeah and look I'm a big believer in preventative rather than aftercare so um for pretty much everything actually but certainly when it comes to mental health but you are exactly right that you you have to as a business know when to um to stop and, and we talked about um ideas that have failed and I have so many so many um because I'm a real kind of here's an idea let's do this and everybody I work with size and you know where I'm all about failing fast so um but one of the things that I really was passionate about was to build um an app that allowed people to manage their own um kind of mental health so like ask them questions every day, um, you know, take vitals potentially. So feed in things like um, blood pressure and things that you can get off your smartwatch really. Yeah. And um, and then help kind of that individual identify triggers so that yeah. they could then go, oh, okay, so normally your days are at a like a five or a six and you're at a like three for the last two weeks. I think that you may be, you know, here's some ways that you could help. So, and I, you know, we're a digital agency, so I was kind of like, we could just build an app for this. And I did a lot of research. I found a, a, um, a professor who had a, a team of PhD students that were helping me what I found when I was doing the kind of initial research into that project was actually that that's not what employees want because that is a great example of stepping over the line. They did not right. want their employer, even me, you know, like who I have, I think, destigmatized mental health in, in my workplace. Um, they didn't want their employer having access to, there was this, this, well, why would I write that down? Why would I be that exposed on mm. a work app? You know, like yeah. I wouldn't, if, if work gave me an app, I'm not going to tell work how I'm feeling every single day unless yeah. um, not to that level. I don't want them knowing when I possibly might because I want to be able to have control of that information. So that's a really good example of something that I was hell bent on doing that I really felt was going to make a difference. And, um, but actually taking a step back I can, and looking at it from the employee's perspective, I could totally see that actually an employer doesn't need to know, you know, the employee does need to have control of that information. And even though I said, yes, but it would only be you, they said, yeah, but I'd sign up through my employer's account, right? Like it would be them that would be paying for it. And I went, yeah, that's exactly what would happen. And they said, yeah, that would never happen. Like I would not want, I would feel like it was big brother watching me and that's not what I want. So, so I think there is that real line in the sand where you, you, you need to support, you need to be, you need to give, um, employees the tools that allow them to manage their own mental health, but you can't get involved in it. It's got to be their own journey, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes that makes total sense. 
And I also know from my own experience here with my own mental health is that some days I want to face it, right? And I want to acknowledge the fact that something's going on and maybe there's something to address. Another day that just I just don't even want to look at how I how I am, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I I just want to kind of be checked out from my own state. So I can also see that yeah. as a potential like resistance to something yeah. like that. I just don't I don't want to know. Yeah. And it, you know, you don't want to, I've never one of the things that I was really conscious of when I started Versa um is I didn't want to create a cult, right? Like I don't want it yeah. to be so that everyone's walking around like, hi, you know, and like it, it shouldn't be this like we're all happy, we've all got to be happy, you've got to love Versa every day of the week, you can't hate Versa, like, you know, it, it, I, I, this is a normal work environment where sometimes you love your job and sometimes you don't. And yeah. and I wanted also to create that environment where that was okay because I I, I think that sometimes companies like our, mine, ours, is um, we can be in danger of creating this environment where people don't feel that they can feel bad about their job mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, but they're doing everything for me and I should love it every day. And it's like, that's just not realistic. Sometimes we ask people to do things that they might have to work on a client they don't want to, or they might have to, um, they might have to, you know, the project they're working on might not be a great project or, you know, and, and we don't get it right all the time. Um, yeah. Sometimes, you know, my need for change constantly and being better and better and better is not always a good thing. Um, yeah. You know, I talk a lot about needing to be comfortable being uncomfortable, but I sometimes wonder even deep down whether I'm just actually trying to give myself an excuse just to keep coming up with crazy ideas. And that's not always okay with a team, like to be like, yeah. oh, my God, right. So this week we're doing this and then Kraft's going to come up with this next week and then next week we're going to be doing that. That's not necessarily a great thing so I don't I don't want to sit here today and paint a picture that we're perfect and I don't want employees to feel like they have to feel like it is like a cult you know you will you will love us and you will um you know say I love Versa every day that's not it so yeah yeah so I'm intrigued by the 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 practices so you mentioned gratitude you mentioned man mindfulness how does that actually like play out during the day like what does it look like yeah so um i'm very glad you asked because for the last five years four or five years um we have been we have had a ritual that we get together every single person um that can be there that is so it's not always the whole company um, and we go round, and when we used to be in person, we would go round in person. Now it's virtual. Um, and we say um, we rate the day from the day before. Um, we talk about any blockers. We say what our focus for the day is, and we um, say something we're grateful for. So yeah. the rating the day before is really important because it allows um, – us, I guess, as a leadership team to get a overall feel of where the agency's at. You can very quickly, so the average kind of number um, at Versa is about a seven or eight, you know, ish, you know, so a nine is really good. A 10 and we all clap, like, so you might have one 10 per year, that would be it. So people don't use it very sparingly. Um, a nine, if you're really happy, a seven or eight is normal. But if you start getting down into the fours and fives, um, that's when we kind of know. And if there's a lot of people that are around that six to eight, we know that there's something going on. You know, people are stressed, there's too much work or there's not enough work or something is not quite right. Um, but it also allows us to, um, what we have found, which is what I didn't expect, is that it gives people a chance to verbalize how they're feeling in a very non-threatening way. So remembering, yeah. I know it to you probably sounds like horrific, 
and it does to any new employee, to be fair, as well. But once you've been doing it for months and months on end, it just becomes normal. You don't even think about the, you actually just say what comes to mind. So, but it does allow you to kind of say, hey, I'm struggling without actually saying those words. So if you say today, yesterday was a four, you can 100%, you know, one of the things that people say to me around the business when I, you know, sit down with people to see how they're going and stuff, they say, I just love the fact that if I say yesterday was a four, I get at least five or six people from the business, you know, different people just checking in on me to say, hey, I know you were struggling, is today better? Or not a big deal, not like sound the alarm, get the, you know, mental health professionals in. It's nothing like that. It's just, hey, is there anything that I can do to help? I know you're struggling at the moment. You know, you can certainly expect to hear from your direct manager to see if there's anything they can do to help. But also just random people across the business, people that maybe were paying attention when you um, were doing it. So that's the um, rating. Um, Obviously, the blockers and stuff is all about us just making sure that we can get work through and that people aren't sitting there. But then the, the, the best thing that we do is every single morning, somebody has to turn up with something they're grateful for. And my, my thought processes on doing that was that, you know, and I'm, I have a 16 year old daughter, so I can tell you that it can be an utter mess in the morning sometimes, you know, finishing with her slamming her way out of the um, house in a huff because she's not happy that I told her she couldn't wear her uniform in a certain way or whatever. So, you know, you take a lot of baggage with you of whatever's happened in that morning into work. Like you can't help it, right? You wake up and you have a bad morning. But by saying something you're grateful for, you're creating this circuit breaker because to come up with one thing, you actually, the process that you go through, interestingly, is not, you don't just go straight for that one thing. You normally are like, what am I grateful for? Like, am I grateful for coffee? I'm always grateful for coffee. Am I grateful for my, you know, oh, that person did. I loved hanging out with my friends. I loved that movie last night. So you're thinking of all this stuff and then you land on one thing. But it's just that little moment that you've actually changed your narrative from, holy hell, this is a bad day. You know, I hate my daughter blah, 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 to, okay, so there is some good things going on anyway. You know, like I'm actually grateful that, you know, and I always say we live in Australia. It is, we are super, super lucky to live in this country. Um, You know, we are not in the middle of a war. We are not um, under a regime. We're not, you know, so, so you can't tell me that you don't have because if, if nothing else, everybody that lives in this country should be grateful for that. Um, we've got a team in Nicaragua. They're not so happy about living there, but they always find, you know, and that's a really good leveler as well because they hear that what's going on in, um, in Nicaragua and the, the um, leadership that's happening over there, and that can make people feel grateful. And often it's like, oh, I'm just really grateful that I've just I've got a democratic process that it means yeah. you know my the leaders of the country might be in idiots but at least are the idiots that we legitimately voted in you know which right. is a um, different thing so yeah so I think that that is the big practice that we do and then like I said there are um, we have a psychologist that comes in about four times a year we do meditation um, we're actually doing meditation once a um, uh, once every two weeks now. We were doing it every week, but it was And that's a the bit whole company much. gets together yep. and meditates together. Wow. Online. And it's interesting. So you would say that is not possible to meditate online. And we're actually finding that it is entirely possible to so it's all about relaxation. We just we turn off our um cameras and you know, you find a comfortable place to sit or lie or whatever. And then you just listen to, we've got this one woman that we work with. We've, you know, worked with different people in the past. 
but I'm just a big believer in giving people the tools um, to be able to do it themselves. So I'm not expecting that once every two weeks is the answer, but it may not, you don't want to do it too much when you're kind of making people, if that makes sense. So we kind of do insist on people turning up every morning and kind of checking in with one another because unless they've got a meeting or there's some or they're on holiday or whatever, you don't want to make it too optional because people just opt out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because they get the more stressed they are, the more likely they are to yeah. opt out. So so it is a little bit so you do have to just really be careful not to go overboard. And again, one of my failings is that um I probably go overboard not underboard with some of the stuff so um yeah so so we do um and then we have things that allow um there's this whole remote first so we also have a whole lot of rituals around bringing people together so that they can get to know one another new starters etc um and most of that is done in the morning our time because it works with our team in Nicaragua and it um, it really gets you started, and then it's all about you and your day after that. Right, right. And you're using this this term ritual. Is that is that like a conscious part of the culture here? You talk about a ritual, and and that's yeah, uh, yeah. It's not it's not something that we all go and say, oh, how is that ritual today? We don't <laughs> use it, and it's not a thing. It's not a cult, remember? If I'll go back to my previous comment. Um, no, but I could just yeah. imagine some listeners being like, oh, that's an interesting word to be using, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I do talk about it in terms of what's that, um, uh, just as a way to kind of decide, because we, I kind of see it almost like our bag of tools that we have available. Um, and that's the, that we give over to our employees. So we, we show them how to do meditation. We give them a psychologist to um, to help them kind of understand, you know, how to manage their mental health. We, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that we do throughout the week, and it is a thing that we do every single week. And and I I want people to think of it as a ritual because I don't. It's very easy to do things once. It's yeah. much harder to embed it into a culture and you will be surprised to find out that actually getting a four-day week, our version of the four-day week, and I'm always very careful to say that, is getting our version of the four-day week into the company and actually be a thing. You would think that people would be like, sweet, I get to have Wednesdays off, but it wasn't that simple. Like people needed convincing they needed there was a trust like is she for real just is this a trick like you know am I really supposed to work Wednesdays anyway you know I see new people come into the business all the time and they say you know and you they're kind of thinking well she says that you we have Wednesdays off but can we really have you know can I really trust that if I go and organize something for a Wednesday that people aren't going to be talking behind my back going, oh, my God, I can't believe that they actually take that day, you know. Yeah. So you've got, there, was a, there was a trust that needed to be built up. But also, again, that whole it's got to be a, something that's in your day-to-day ritual of like I don't work on Wednesdays and you've got to be conscious of it every week because the moment that you start thinking, of Wednesday as your extra day that you can work is the day that it all falls over. If we if we don't actively manage it for people, they can't. Yeah. I, and it's a positive thing. People want to work hard. They want to give that. They've got a heap on. They really want to get through it. But we're very careful to um, to make sure that if if people are working on a Wednesday, it's for a very good reason. And it's only periodically, it's not every single Wednesday. Yeah. Now that, that, that makes sense. And I, when I think about it as an individual, so we are, you could say that we're a, a collection of our habits, right? That's who we are. We're yeah. a collection of our habits. And you, if you extend that then to the company, it becomes, it becomes the company at some level is, is the collection of its rituals or it's the yeah. habitualized 
um, behaviors that, that and that, and originally is a way of doing that. So it, it's that no, it's it's every Wednesday that we take off, yeah, exactly. right, until it yeah, becomes yeah. a habit, and then it takes hold, and then it becomes sustained in the culture in the same way with your check-ins, and I guess the same way with your meditation. Yeah. Like I really, really see clearly the importance of framing it as a ritual. Yeah, and I and it's I can kind of still remember, or not kind of I can remember the day that I realized that the check-ins were actually embedded. So it, it wasn't, um, so even those, that very simple ritual of just getting together and saying something you're grateful for and rating the day before, et cetera, took quite a long time to get to a point that if I wasn't there, i.e. I was on holiday or I, you know, if Crazy Kath wasn't in the, in the house, that it didn't just fall off pretty much straight afterwards. So, you know, that I remember coming back and it being a thing when I when I came back from the holiday and I was like, right, now I know that this is something that will be sustained no matter where I am. I don't need to turn up to a check-in to make sure that people are doing what um and and I know that that sounds really, as I say it, I, it sounds really draconian and like you will do this. But if I just left it up to people, they just wouldn't do that for themselves because um, sometimes we need to be accountable to one another for looking after each other, and that and that's kind of how I feel. But I do know that now people love it. But when they first come into the business. They couldn't think of anything worse than turning up. And they don't see it as like, why am I turning up at nine o'clock every morning to just say what I'm grateful for? This is ridiculous. And it's not until they've been doing it for a while that they realize the group benefit as well as the individual benefit of doing that. Yeah. And I really see the importance of making it mandatory because there's a part of me that bristles at that. Like, no, no, surely this should be a voluntary thing. But, but. I get, I get it, right? Like, unless it's mandatory, you're not, it's not going to become ritualized. It's not going to become a no. habit. And if I apply it to, as a business, as a group, you're not going to engage in it as a habitually. No. And if I think to my own experience, like if I didn't make myself brush my teeth every morning and tell myself, like, I have to do this, I wouldn't yeah. do it, right? And of course, now it has yeah. become habitualized. I don't need to do that. But going to the gym, if, if I don't make it mandatory for myself, for my own personal sort of effectiveness yeah. habits, let's say, I'm not going to do it either. So it's yeah. it does make sense that it has to be mandatory. Yeah, but you just have to be careful when you're that you use that mandate, that mandated yeah. ritual sparingly. So, you know, it's it's done very thoughtfully. And I think, you know, again, when I think about things that I places where I've gone wrong and I've I've been wrong, it's where I've overdone that that need for um to make to help people help themselves and therefore put too much of an onerous kind of task on people that actually just want to get in and do their work so mm. you know i um and you know covid was um tough for me because i'm a real feeler so i was like i wanted to just wrap people up and because we had like whatever it was in Melbourne something ridiculous 268 days in lockdown so we had a huge amount almost a year of um of just being in our home so the the impact on people's um, mental health and on their families and how and just everything just the impact on people generally was awful to watch and so my reaction was right we've got to get together more and we've got to you know drop off um uh food and sorry i hope you're not going to use the video content part of this you know so i i i just wanted to you know i remember like cooking for people and dropping it off and you know getting people together and playing games and stuff whereas actually looking back I just did too much you can try too hard as well so and I think a lot of companies suffered under that they really they wanted to try and keep their culture going whereas actually 
we you just had to kind of let it go and just realize that it was a different time and that it was okay that on a Friday night you weren't all sitting around. You didn't have to virtually after a whole day on Zoom yeah. um, sit around and stare at each other on a screen and try and recreate Friday night drinks. I mean, yeah. that was not recreating Friday night drinks. Like <laughs> right. it wasn't at a pub. Your family was all surrounding you wanting dinner. It was not, it wasn't even close to being Friday night drinks. So I think, um, I think that is, um, that was a real learning for me during COVID is just to relax and be sparing about um, how I use those rituals. So, um, yes. Yeah, no, that, 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 that makes. That makes that makes some sense, and it's interesting what you you, you said. You know, you, this probably sounds horrendous. <clears throat> that idea of giving a number of the day before, and actually, I I think you're right. I think that that version of asking people how it's going it is, as you say, is much more is much easier because I, when we were talking mm. about failings, I when I've tried to do this kind of practice and said to people, okay, how do you how are you feeling around the room of like English people? Like <laughs> everybody says, I'm fine. Yeah, of course they do. Right? It's pointless, right? It's pointless asking the question. Whereas if you ask something like that, like give me a number, yeah, you, yeah. You, you're 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 not. It's not too difficult because you're not asking how are you feeling, but you're still asking people to give an indication that's safe for them to express of how it's going. So, and also there's a trust there um, over time that you're not going to follow that up right in front of a big group. So you haven't yeah. got. 70 people staring at you and you say yesterday was a four and someone steps in and says oh so tell me about it like what happened you know nobody says that it is um you know it really goes um you know yesterday was a nine I've got no blockers I'm um, my focus for today is um um a podcast that I've got on this evening and um I'm um, grateful for my husband. I don't, he yeah. doesn't really. Uh, he's not always on the grateful list, uh, but uh, but I'm grateful for my husband. And then then you move on, you know. And and it also creates this opportunity with the gratefulness to I can say, and I often do, and other people do. You know, I'm grateful to Stephen, who I work with, um, for a great meeting this morning was awesome kind of having our morning walks together, you know? So, and so it also creates that ability to do shout outs. So suddenly that gratefulness is being, you get a double um, out of it because you're also making someone else feel good as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I love that. Um, Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, I'm just, just, yeah, I'm I'm taking it all in and it makes, um, (laughs) You know, yeah. it makes a lot we've of, got a you lot know, of the, we've these, got a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, these are, I suppose what we've been doing is we're going over the building blocks of the culture that makes, you know, that makes Versa what yeah. it is. Um, yeah, and know, I, I, look, I've, I just, um, the other thing that I'm a big believer in that hasn't translated into, um, and this might be a segue into the, um, the remote first, but, you know, Something that we used to do when we were all in the office, so this is when we were Melbourne-based and we're we're certainly not that now, um, we would do what we called 3 p.m. walkies. So that sounds very twee and weird, but we would, we, I'm a big believer in dogs, so I have two of my own and, you know, we used to have up to five or six in the office, you know, so my two plus, you know, whoever there was actually Does it ended get a up, bit noisy. Do they sang each yeah, other. Yeah, so it ended up actually funnily enough, it ended up being that we had to we had a Slack channel where you would have because there were so many people that had dogs that wanted to bring them in. And there were certain dogs that couldn't be with other dogs. So you would have to go, oh I mean, like Milo, my oldest dog, has is, it was the office dog right from the beginning, so he got a free ticket. But everybody else kind of had to coordinate um, to do it. But what we would do, um, and I actually got this from a um, a book that I read, Ray, back in 2011, around um, this concept of breaking together at 3 p.m. 
and going for a walk just for 10 minutes as a group. And as in 2011, we were like five people. So that was not, didn't look super unusual. In 2019, we were 70 people. That looked a little bit more unusual to have 70 people walking around the block. But you would literally just, um, a sound would go off. You would down tools for literally 10 minutes, um, go down the stairs, walk around the block and come back up and get started again. And what that meant is that you had a break. It really forced you to kind of take a breath. Um, it also allowed you to maybe talk to someone across the business that you you hadn't normally talked, you wouldn't normally talk to because actually people walk at, the people that walk at your pace aren't necessarily the people that you work with. So um, on a day-to-day basis, so you might be, you might end up talking, the you know, I would be talking mafia, to a right? just, the fast walking yeah. mafia, right? It's I'm, a, I'm a slow walking <laughs> mafia. So I, I used to hang back and, you know, and people would, and, you know, you'd notice that people would maybe hang back with me if they wanted just to have a word that, you know, that they didn't want to kind of book a meeting or do anything like that. But it was, um, it was just a great, another, to hate to use that word again, because I've never used it so many times in a conversation, but <laughs> uh, another ritual that we did, but it just has not translated. We tried to do it when we went remote first. We've done all sorts of things. We've kind of sent out a message and said, everybody kind of get on Zoom and let's do a Zoom walk together. We've um, encouraged people, sent out messages, but actually now that everybody's at home, they want to do their own, you know, the whole thing about being at home is that you can, you know, get up and um, put the washing out. As I'm a big fan of the Pomodoro, you know, that whole, yeah, like you work 20 intensely minutes, yeah. for 20 yeah. minutes. And then, and for me, that works perfectly because I super concentrate knowing that I'm going to have five minutes to do the dishes from this morning, you know, from the kids. Yeah breakfast dishes this morning or I, I know that they should do their own I just they don't um got enough or, cover with the uniform yeah <laughs> and then or uh, I should um you know so I'm able to do that so actually that was something that didn't work and didn't translate and that has been a huge learning curve for me is that we had this incredible culture in-person culture when COVID happened uh, at the beginning of 2020, um, it coincided with us, um, unfortunately, I've got to say, expanding globally. So we opened an office in Seattle on the 6th of March 2020. So that didn't go so well right. for us yeah, because yeah. Uh, we went straight into the uh, COVID. So that was bad. But um, so there was more and more remote people anyway. And so when COVID hit, I sat everybody down and just said, just go to where you feel safe and comfortable. And, um, you know, once we could see that it was going to be in for the long haul, it was pretty obvious reasonably early that it wasn't going to be a flash in the pan thing. And so, you know, I had people go to New Zealand. I had people go to Brisbane. um, I had um, somebody go back to Mexico. You know, people just spread. Uh, to Perth, um, which is like a four-hour flight away. So everybody kind of dispersed, or not everybody, some people um, dispersed, other people moved down to the beach and rented out houses rather than renting in the city. And and so after COVID, we haven't been able to go back because yeah. I've now got a really dispersed. And so the 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 most challenging thing for 20 22 for me because 2021 we were still in and out of COVID really is really learning or creating from scratch another culture which is a remote first culture and we're not there yet so I hope that I can talk to you in a couple of years time I reckon that's how long it's going to take me to I hope that we're sitting here um me in the dark uh with no lights on um talking to you about what all the amazing things that we've done to make remote first the but it is definitely a work in progress and i i can see that it's 
the spoils are huge if you can get it right, but you have to work twice as hard on a culture that is, um, you know, and you can't rely on, like we used to do a bake-off every Monday morning. We would bake off and it became this massive thing. My husband would say way too massive. He was like, you guys are ridiculous because we would cook for everybody and, you know, so every six weeks you were, it felt like maybe it was a bit more than that you would be facing off against two other people like baking and you'd you'd think for weeks about what you were going to bake and who was going to win. It's ridiculous. and um, But fun. And it was great because on a Monday yeah. we all ate really nice things. When we tried to take that online, that, you know, yes, you can yeah. do a bake-off. We used to do a, a blunch-off where people would take photos, but it's not the same. And so what I've really had to work with the team on is we have to create every single thing almost from scratch again. Yeah. And we have to think of new ways to cut. And part of my belief is on the remote first is actually being really conscious about coming together. And that means it's expensive, but we've weighed it out by not having a massive, massive office now. So we've got a very small, yeah, we've got a very small office in comparison. And so that has meant that we can spend the money on bringing people together regularly for much bigger, so that you can still create those memories because it's so hard to create memories online. Yeah. Yeah. Almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and certainly the research, because we've had a few people on the podcast who've researched remote working, right? you know, academics yeah. and so on. And, and, and it seemed to be, from, from what I understood, is that for, for transactional, so a couple of interesting things from the research is like, for, for transactional work of efficiency and effectiveness actually goes up. So if it's just yeah. you getting tasks done, that's better at yeah. home. Um, then the research, it doesn't really make any difference about promotion prospects and the progression through companies, if you're remote or not, whereas you think all of those in-person moments would put you in a you know, better light with your boss or whatever. So that doesn't yeah. appear to be true. But where it does seem to have a negative impact is on creative work. So when you're doing yeah. complex, complex projects, creative projects um, don't seem to be as easy to do online. And so I'm just wondering what your experience has been, especially given your running a digital agency on, on that Yeah, score. so 100%. So we have found that um, we still now bring people, fly people in for collaboration on big projects, yeah. that, but we're, we're much more sparing about it, obviously. So we, we don't, so we've 100% lost that um, incremental brainstorm, let's all just, you know, jump on a whiteboard and kind of nut, um, nut this out. And if you spoke to any creative, they would say it's not the same. Um, I don't think it is necessarily affected. I mean, we're not a creative agency. We're not, we're not building um, advertising campaigns and that kind of thing. So our digital is very tech-focused. So we're doing okay. a lot of that conversational AI. And um, so we, we do build websites, but we're designing – it's a lot more research-based, a lot more. Okay. Um, and, and actually, we're finding research groups are better. So we're, um, interestingly, you get a better caliber of um, people to ask because people are much happier just to jump on Zoom than they are to come in to do focus groups. And so you're much more um, likely to, um, and also, um and actually, you you just touched on it before. You know, you were saying around um, uh, that it's it doesn't impact at all your ability to um, get a promotion. Some of the research that I've seen, and certainly what I've seen myself as well, is that actually for some people it's better online because, and and in meetings in particular, and I I am uh, you know I'm an, the exception to the rule for sure that, um, you know, there are, and particularly there's a male kind of um, predisposition to use size and um, sound of voice to dominate in a conversation. And that allows you to, and it's, we're, we're just predisposed to it. It's just as humans, like we want to yeah. get our, 
what we want to get our point across. We want to be strong and and males are much, much better at it. Um, this is a fact. So this is uh, that unfortunately males are better, much more confident at just getting their opinion across in a meeting. What what happened when COVID happened is everybody goes onto the little screen. Suddenly you're not able to use size. Um, you can actually turn somebody down or off. You know, you had to actually wait your turn. So you couldn't, it was harder to break in on people. Um, and so I think it gave some females more of a platform to actually show their, whereas they may have just sat back and let the male take all the limelight. Um, they're not as likely to do it on Zoom. So, and and so I think actually it might go the other way for some people where they've actually got a better chance of showing their worth when they're not competing with the loud person like me. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes Let's a lot of honest. sense. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I did have this debate with somebody else, but I, I think I think you're right in general. It's the males who tend to dominate. Yeah. But I, I also, yeah. have, having been a formerly very shy male, and I've done a lot of work on yeah. it over the years, you know, I can say that it, it's not always, uh, you know, the case that it's the males who are the most dominant, in, you know, in conversation. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm a case in point. You can imagine I'm, yeah. I've never, never been a wallflower when it came to um, meetings, et cetera. But Again, it's great when you're the boss and you become a little screen, you can't dominate either. Mm. You have to wait for your turn for your little square to light up and you you have your moment <laughs> as well. So Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Good. Okay, well, um, talking about offices, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm going to get thrown out of this room yeah. that I'm currently in, uh, in in six minutes. But this has been like a wonderful edu- you know, education, right, in um, you know how, how to build a culture, albeit, Physically, as you say, yeah. Um, yeah, you're now learning how to how to do that online. Yeah, um, and hopefully yeah, we'll get to do, like I said, hopefully we'll get to do part the two. Uh, the follow-up on um, that, uh, I'm really looking forward in a way to reimagining what this could be, but also, um, you know, being being like we've always been as a company, um, brave on trying new things and um, seeing what works and what doesn't. So um, I think we as a company have decided that we want to be remote first. Everybody in the company is um, has bought into that um, to some level. Like not everybody, you know, we, we have offices, you know, the office that I'm in now that you can come into if you want to. But I can tell you nobody comes in. Like they just mm. don't want to come in because – um, it's so easy for them to work from home. And so, um, you know, watch the space. I think that there'll be lots of the interesting, not just us, I think companies will do virtual offices. There'll be super interesting stuff being done in the next 24 months, I reckon, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. no, I, no, I think I think they will. I think we'll, we'll adapt as humans and we will find new ways. Um, yeah. I guess at least all your dogs get to come in, right? They're not, there's no negotiation yeah. on Slack. <laughs> No, no, no. There's no negotiation. They got the place to themselves. <laughs> I know. I know. People that haven't worked in an environment where it's like a lot of dogs, you're like, that must be, but mayhem. But actually, once they all get to know one another, it doesn't matter if you've got two dog, one dog, two dogs, or six dogs. They just all relax on one another and just lie around. So I know yeah. you're not even going to believe me. I can hear you. I can see you going. Yeah, right. As a, no, no, I mean, no, I can imagine. I, I can imagine because, well, our dogs do that. They form packs. I'm guessing a hierarchy yeah, yeah, forms yeah. and they, they, yeah. uh, no, I totally can see that. Yeah. But, uh, but my husband always says, uh, what would happen if you didn't like dogs? And I'm like, well, I guess that's a little bit of a filter that goes on it, uh, which we don't have to condemn with now. But I've never, I always said, I'd never had anyone that said to me they didn't like the dogs. But as a dog lover, of course, no one's going to say to the boss, I hate your dogs, like yeah. said no one ever. So anyway. So I guess you do we, have we, that risk now. You hire people re- remote first and then you will end up <laughs> they see the dogs. No. I'm out. Yeah, this is not what I signed up for. No, I don't think we'll go backwards. I can't see us 
ever going back into an office environment. Never say never, but um, uh, I'd be very surprised. I think the way that we're set up now, we've just got too many people that have made too many life choices, um, good life choices that are really working for them. It would, I could never, and I know it's happened in the UK, right, where people have moved further out of London and now, well, yeah, it's, and it's now becoming. the companies are saying, oh, you've got to come back in. And they're like, what? Like I've moved, you know, I've yeah. moved to Nottingham. I'm not coming in from Nottingham. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. And it's about becoming a political issue now, right, because a lot of the civil servants are like refusing to go back to the office and the politicians are like, get back in the office. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. What a what a great way to lead! Like get back into the office, and and then they're like, no, and now you can't come back into the office at all because we've got COVID. Oh, now you can come back in, you know. So it's just, I hopefully, most people, most businesses have learned the fundamental lesson that many of us knew pre-COVID, but many more of us as business leaders know now, and that is that if you give the trust to your staff, they will return with the the fact that you can trust them. They'll give you um, what you need from them. So, you know, I think that there was this belief that if you let people work from home, they would just sit around on and game or, you know, not work properly. And I think that um, COVID has allowed us to see that actually they work better and smarter when they're in the, um, when they just, when a little trust is given to them to manage their own time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's so yeah. true, isn't it? And, uh, yeah. Long may that. Uh, so yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much no, for no, having thank me. You Thanks for letting for me. For sharing your yeah. uh, evening. Yeah. I uh, really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I hope you're, well, we spoke offline about your, your, your son with his accident. I hope he yes. recovers well. Uh, yeah. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Good. These things happen to thirteen-year-old boys. It was on the growth plate, so it's he was just growing so fast. He shouldn't have been growing so fast. That's what we told him. Like if you just if you just slowed down, he's much taller than me now. So if he just slowed down growing, this wouldn't have happened. So uh, <laughs> anyway, well, lovely Good. to meet you. Lovely and to meet you. Thank you for having me, and thanks no. for letting me get on my soapbox for on a Friday evening. Yeah, no, it's been great. Thanks again. Amazing. See you later. See you later. Bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.